Hi there, and welcome to the LGBTQ plus STEM cast, a podcast where we interview LGBTQ plus scientists from different STEM fields from all over the world. I'm your host, Annabelle Gong, and today... I'm your host, Annabelle Gong, and in today's episode, we will be chatting with Chelsea Connor. Chelsea is a herpetologist from Dominica studying anoles and will be a PhD student this fall at Clemson University in South Carolina. Join us today as we nerd about anoles, which are a type of lizard, talk about decolonizing LGBTQ plus issues, and also discuss Chelsea's art. Enjoy! Hi Chelsea, welcome to the show. How are you today? Hi, I'm good. Just having some tea. Kind of Ooh, what kind? Ago. Cherry blossom. Ooh, I've never had cherry blossom tea. That sounds really good. It is. Usually I dump a ton of sugar in my tea because that's just who I am fundamentally as a person. Um, But the cherry blossom is already kind of sweet on its own, so I don't do that with this one. Mm, I'll have to look out for that in the store. That sounds really, really good. So yeah, give us a brief introduction about who you are, what you do. Yeah, so currently my Twitter, I talk about anoles. I'm starting my PhD in the fall, so I will be researching anoles. Again, I am an advocate for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, if you have ever like seen me on Twitter, <laughs> I um, have a lot of strong opinions. Um, <laughs> I'm not really afraid of saying that. <laughs> I probably should have some fear, but no, I just kind of nah. just let it be known how I feel about something. I draw anoles as well. Um, I do draw a lot of other animals. Um, lately, I've been drawing amphibians. I have never drawn an amphibian before, which I was like, oh, that's sad. I need to fix that. So that's what I've been working on. I'm also moving in like, at like the end of July. So That's exciting. Where are you moving to? Mess. <laughs> so I'm like figuring that out. I'm moving to South Carolina. Cool. And where are you doing your PhD at? Clemson University. Awesome. So yeah, you just graduated and you're going on to your PhD. Did you do any undergraduate research? If so, what was that? Yeah, so my undergrad research was on the dietary niche overlap of the invasive species of Anolum Island time and the endemic one. With invasive species, we know that they interact with and harm the native population of a similar species in some way, one of the things that they do is compete with them for prey and wanted to know how is this competition going? Are they eating the exact same things? We know that the invasive anole is very aggressive. Is it eating more and is it like pushing out the native anole in those areas where they have a large overlap in population and had to collect a lot of poop samples. So I got pooped on a lot. (laughs) By the anoles? Yes. How big are their poops? Uh, They're not very big. Okay, there was one that somehow just (laughs) out a lot. Like, I picked it up, and it was like, oh, I hate you. (laughs) And it just, like, kind of laid a lot right in my hand. And it also happened that it had parasites in it. So I was like, oh, what a day I'm having. (laughs) I had to like get the vial and like scoop it out of my hand. Is <laughs> that like your bare hand? Yeah, no, on my bare hand. <laughs> like right on my bare hand. 
there was never a time where I had gloves on or something. It was always just my bare hands. So they like they poop on my hand, on my foot, on my knee. <laughs> One pooped on my shoulder once. It's like at least it was on my shirt. But now it's like on my shirt, so I can like smell it every time I took my head. They were very kind. <laughs> So what do you do with these poop samples? I kind of got you off track there. No, you're good. Yeah, so took all of my poop vials back to Texas. Our lab does not have the equipment that we need. So luckily, my advisor at the time knew someone at Texas Christian University who does have the perfect lab for that because he also does lizard poop research. (laughs) We took the poop vials over there and we extracted the DNA from them to find out what insects they were eating. So all of the vials are labeled and everything about the lizard is noted, like its weight, its SVL, which is its snout to vent length, Um, its perch temperature, the temperature it was when we caught it. So it's cloacal temperature. So we had to like stick a special thermometer up its cloaca (laughs) to get that. (laughs) Very uncomfortable for them. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Those and all. And we also noted the species, of course, because that's what we're looking at. What species is doing what and how much overlap is there between, between the two with what they're eating. Cool. And did you guys find anything interesting? So we found that there was not a lot of overlap between the insect species that they were eating, particularly in relation to location. And with the endemic anole, there are four different ecotypes, which means that there's like four different geographic variations basically. So they look different on four different parts of the island. And then between those four ecotypes, there's like two different ecomorphs. And ecomorph is just, there's different anoles with different body types adapted to different microhabitats. So some anoles are better suited for like grass bush areas because they have the limb length for that, as well as the tail length to help them counterbalance when they jump onto those smaller surfaces. Um, They also have really skinny bodies to fit onto that. And then we have anoles that like live up in the canopy and they have bigger toe pads to be able to hold on better. So there's trunk crown and there's trunk ground ecomorphs within this endemic species of anole on my island. And then with the invasive, it's only trunk ground. They're just solely trunk ground anoles. So that you'll see them running along rocks, jumping from rocks to like the bottom of a tree trunk and then back and forth. So they have really strong hind legs for that. So they do a lot of jumping and they have really stocky bodies as well. So with that, that fact that they're in two different microhabitats, sometimes in places where they're sympatric, which just means that there's the two species occupying the same location, then they don't have a lot of that overlap because they're finding different kinds of insects in those areas. That's really interesting because like you think that like invasive species kind of sometimes hold a lot of threat to native species that are like when they're the same species, but that's really cool that they don't really overlap and aren't really disturbing each other, I guess. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of different ways a species can be classified as invasive. And sometimes people do use invasive and introduced like interchangeably, but an invasive species has to be doing some kind of harm or has some negative effect on a native species. That can include like changes to the population. So every habitat has a carrying capacity, which basically means that it can only support a certain number of organisms with the resources that it has in that area. 
So if you introduce a new species, then the population of other species is going to drop to be able to reach that balance again. I love this ecology lesson that I'm getting here. It's really awesome. And I know that you actually did a little bit of teaching when you were in your undergrad too, is that correct? Yes. The program that I um, went with to my home island to help facilitate the research also teaches high school students, usually from the UK, but sometimes from America, about the research that, that all the scientists are doing. So there's several different scientists on this trip. There's marine biologists, there's entomologists. I forget what you call a bat scientist, but there's bat <laughs> scientists as well. And there's ornithologists. And I think, you know, there's different people every year. Sometimes the same people come back. The students get to go with a different group every day so they get to experience all of the the research that all of us are doing help us collect the data so sometimes we'll just have them help us set up something and wait if that's the nature of the research or we'll have them help us record the data and show them how to properly record it obviously you have to make sure that they're doing it right so yeah. don't wanna, <laughs> you don't want to get incorrect data but you also want to give them the chance to, to be able to do it for themselves. So answer a lot of questions about flora and fauna on the island as well. And questions just in general about the research. What are you doing? Why are you doing it? What are you expecting to find? What happens when you like take all of the poop vials? <laughs> do I have to get pooped on too? <laughs> questions like that. That's super awesome. I love that. And that's such a great opportunity for the kids too to get like research experience at such a young age, I feel like, and firsthand, you know? Yeah, it is expensive. So only students who can afford it are able to go. Um, it would be really cool if they start a program for kids who, who don't have that kind of money to be able to have that experience as well, because that's like one of those barriers that prevent people from getting into science that they can't see themselves in it, especially if there's like this, this barrier of like finances, like you have to be rich to have this experience to get in. And then when you apply for things, they ask, okay, well, what experience do you have? And you've had none because you couldn't afford to, to go on any of those trips uh, to get any of that experience in. Yeah, especially for like first gen students who may not realize that you need that experience too. Yeah. I definitely did not realize um, <laughs> what it's, that I, I needed um, certain kinds of experience. Like I'm getting it now, but like when I just started, I was like, oh, oh, they want you to do all these things. <laughs> I had no clue. <laughs> so yeah, how did you get into your lab? How did you get so into like herpetology and anoles? What was it that drew you to them? So like, growing up on my island, I've always been like really interested in animals. I've been like holding snakes <laughs> and um, playing with, with animals, uh, poking sea urchins, just living my best life, doing hikes, looking for birds. My mom actually got me a bird guide from my island, and, but I've had it for a really long time. It was still being printed when she got it for me. It's out of print right now. So it's like, it's extra precious because it's never going to be again. But I knew I wanted to work with animals. And I started school in South Dakota originally. And I took a herpetology class. <laughs> that was my first encounter of herpetology, like as a like actual science as a class. And I took the herpetology class. And I was like, okay, great. This is gonna, this should be good. I love reptiles. 
I love frogs. I can do this. And first day the professor walked in, he's like, okay, so no one gets an A in my class. <laughs> oh no. Um, you'd be lucky if you get a B, a C is more likely. He was not very helpful to me at all though. It was really clear to me what students that he would answer questions from. I was amazing at the lab part because we just did dissections. I've never, I had never done a dissection before in my life because that's not something that we do in classes at home. So like doing dissections, I was like, okay, wow, I can, I'm opening up an actual snake. I had no idea what this was like. And that was really like fascinating to me. So that part I was like more in control of because I was like, oh yeah, I, I know what these organs are. I can figure this out. But then like with the like actual class part, he made it so difficult. And then there was no help. The only time I got any help was when like my friend who he'd actually answer questions from, I would ask her like, well, did you ask him about this? And like, she would tell me what he said and I was like, okay. But we didn't have the same questions. So the questions that she got answered, not the questions that I wanted to get answered. So I just had to figure it out somehow. <laughs> From that D, I did not figure out what he wanted. <laughs> he didn't state clearly what he wanted and I definitely did not figure it out. So we were at an impasse. <laughs> School in general sucked as well. South Dakota, I don't know if you know this, but it's very white. <laughs> I could guess. I could um, guess. Not just the snow. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very white place. And I I left, went back home. Uh, we had a hurricane. So I was like, damn, I guess I'm stuck here for a couple more months because that airport is destroyed. The entire island was destroyed, actually. So I had to stay a couple months longer than I um, originally planned. But I got to Texas and I met my, well, now he's not my advisor anymore. I'm so used to calling him my advisor, my advisor slash mentor. I, I told him where I was from and he was like, oh, we research um, these lizards on your island. And like for like a half minute, I was like, what are you talking about? What lizard? So the, we speak Lesser Antillean Creole on my island. So he said the Creole name. I was like, oh, you could have just said that this whole time. <laughs> telling me no like what, the, what is, <laughs> <laughs> like speaking the language people could understand what do you mean <laughs> so the creole name for a lizard is zandoli so he said that and he didn't pronounce it right but he pronounced it well enough that i got it and i was like oh <laughs> all right i got it <laughs> so he talked about the research and uh, he asked me what i wanted to do and I had like no comprehension really of what, like all the different kinds of animal scientists that <laughs> were out there or like the ways that you could like specify what you want to study uh, when it comes to biology, when it comes to animal research. I, had, I, I didn't know. I just knew that there was like people who like research mammals, people <laughs> who research reptiles. I just didn't, I didn't have that exposure. I didn't have that knowledge. So like talking to him about the, about the research, um, the work that he's doing, and just in general, like, you know, what, what do you want to be? Where do you want to go? Learning about like different kinds of science that you can do. He's also a herpetologist, but he's mainly an ecologist. And I didn't know that you could just like study like just ecology. <laughs> I didn't know that you could do that. I was like, you could 
do things like that. You could just not <laughs> specify an animal and just be like, yeah, I study ecology. I study the way that they 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 do things in the environment. I was like, those things exist. I was like, damn, this is just opening up all these <laughs> all these doors. That's interesting. So I learned about the anoles. I learned about the anole on my island. I learned about the invasive anole on my island. I learned about a ton of other anoles. And I was like, there's so many of them. I kind of love these lizards. And then he had been asking me to do a research trip for a while. And then I finally, 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 finally was like, okay, maybe I can do it because he never for a second doubted that I could do it. Like he'd always been like, you should go ahead and do this. I know that you can do this. I see your grades. <laughs> and he's like, I, I read the way that you write. Like, I, you know what you're doing. And I definitely think that you would be able to do it. So I finally was like, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, all right, yeah, I'll do it. Because in South Dakota, I didn't have that. But like it, here, being here now and finally having someone who's like, yeah, you can do whatever. And here's all the, the possibilities. I can't believe no one ever told you this, but here are all the possibilities and all the things that you can do. That really like opened doors for me. It's not just like, of course, having like opportunities as well, open doors for you, but like having someone who is backing you up and willing to help you navigate and you know explaining to you how things work and what the possibilities are for you who will take the time to like understand what you like when it comes to science and then give you options on what you can be because i i thought it was pretty limited and then um in comes dr watson he's like limits <laughs> that's so awesome that you had such an amazing mentor to like guide you through this research project even though you didn't like believe in yourself at first i think it's really important that mentors have confidence in their students and now you're going to be a phd student which is so awesome do you know what you'll be focusing on i'll definitely be studying anoles i just don't know much more than that right now I'm figuring it out. Yeah, so we talked a lot about your home, which is uh, Dominica, and we're on this podcast, an LGBTQ plus podcast. So Mm -hmm. what is kind of like the general consensus of LGBTQ plus acceptance back home for you? So there is an org that is um, fighting for LGBTQ plus rights. It's pretty small right now, but culturally, it's not generally accepted. I think like with most communities, women are usually the ones that are more accepting of LGBTQ plus identities, but a lot of gay men hide who they are because there's not a lot of anti-gay violence, but there is some, and there definitely is a lot of name calling and bullying. There's a lot of like sexist bullying. I remember being at school and like the the go-to insult from one guy to another guy would be to um, insult his his masculinity or his sexuality. Even if he wasn't gay, just like to call him that would be like the biggest insult. I know that they signed a UN thing. It's like a, a statement about acts of violence and human rights violations and agreeing that 
those those things, especially based on like gender and sexuality are human rights violations, but it's still illegal to have same-sex relations. You can actually go to jail for same-sex relationships. I, there's a couple Caribbean islands that are, because they're like US territories, same-sex marriage is legal there, but my island is not one of those. And I was never openly bi on my island. Actually, still have them like actually come up to my mom, but <laughs> I feel like she's seen it. By now she's, she's seen it. She follows me online, <laughs> seen it. but women being gay is more accepted um, because um, to be quite frank, it's accepted by men because they find that hot. <laughs> mm. That's really the only reason. And it's really hard to talk about because I like to think about my island and think about all like the happy stuff and then not like think about my identity personally. But the last time they actually enforced any of those laws was, I forget what year it was. I think it was like early 2000s. There was a gay cruise that was at, was it Roseau, I think? And they told them about the laws and that they shouldn't be having sex publicly because why would you, first of all? And second of all, it is illegal. And a couple decided as protest that they were going to have sex on the balcony in view of everybody in town. And they had to arrest them because right there, there were children <laughs> present as well. Yeah. So they, they had to take them. And I think they did let them go after some time. They didn't keep them in jail. I just want to note that it is really important for white people and allies to listen. When you say you're doing protests, you want to be mindful of the kinds of things that you're doing as protest. Because the act of having sex on the balcony of the cruise ship while they called it a protest and they thought of it as a protest and they thought of it as some, some great radical movement, it actually had a really large negative effect to the gay population of Dominica because it was really easy for, for people, among other things, to fall back and say, well, what if, you know, it ends up being just like this everywhere? If we give gay people any kind of rights, then this might be what it ends up being and it, it furthered that that stigma so when you're in a country that is not yours even in a country that's not yours you want to listen to marginalized voices and be mindful of the kinds of things that you're doing while calling yourself an ally because you're not an ally to anyone if you're doing things that you think to you are radical and cool and make you look good without thinking about the consequences it's going to have for someone else but they haven't moved to remove those laws off the books they don't enforce them but they're still there and i think that speaks to a lot like saying that you don't enforce them is one thing like well we don't enforce them we we don't plan to enforce them but if you don't plan to buy this on the books just remove them <laughs> yeah don't be shy um, just get rid of them the catholic church is not the authority of the island. No church is the authority of the island. There's a separation of church and state. There really should be a separation of church and state in every country. And if somebody decides that based on their religion, they feel like this should remain on the books, that's really not their decision to make. 
I still also like it's not in the Bible, but <laughs> I don't want to argue with anybody. So mainstream media, I feel like, I mean, of course, kind of focuses on this American centric or even European centric viewpoint of LGBTQ plus politics and uh, identities and stuff. And you talking about the nuances of Dominican like LGBTQ plus perspectives is really interesting. So why do you think it's important to kind of decenter American or European views of LGBTQ plus identities? Like I mentioned, a lot of countries view the religious beliefs as being part of the legal system. And a lot of these countries before they were quote unquote discovered by 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 Europeans had matriarchal societies, they had their own religion, they had different gender identities long, long before any of this European influence. And then you have to think about, you know, what these societies were like before colonization. When colonization happened, people were forced to assimilate to European cultures and European beliefs and our own culture was lost. And what happens is now we have America and Europe, people are like, be gay, do crime. (laughs) But like, okay, it's illegal in these countries to be gay because of this influence that you brought in and these religions that you brought in with your ancestors. Some people get really upset and say you, your ancestors (laughs) brought in then you left and now you're like, okay, we are such a free and advanced society. Why are you all so behind? And you're completely forgetting the fact that like these countries were not originally like this. It is the original influence that you brought in and then um, abandoned that has created the environment that it did. Colonization has a lot of effects and not just on the demographics, not just on economy. It's also, you know, the religion as well as how people express themselves. A lot of Europeans, a lot of colonizers did not appreciate indigenous cultures and how they expressed themselves, the clothes that they wore, um, saw them as, as savages, as less educated or just not as human, as didn't, didn't consider them as equals or as human and strip them of all the things that made them who they are and had them assimilate to their culture. And like I saw this TikTok where this guy was like, he was playing the Animaniacs country list thing. And it was like countries I, I can be gay in, countries where it's like, I was like, do you know that your ancestor did this? <laughs> are you aware of that? Like there's a lot of people who have like moved to America and that's when they finally came out um, because it's finally safe for them to do so. And it's not because like, you know, they, oh, my country's evil. Uh, They won't let me be who I am. But after an event where people come in and they stabilize a country and then they leave it on its own to fend for itself expecting it to be on the same level as your country that took all the wealth and any everything that they wanted from some other country it's 
I can't find the right word, but it sucks. <laughs> it's, gonna, it's also like really difficult to think about because from what we we do know about indigenous cultures, like um, there were the Taino people on my island and a few others and like um, Puerto Rico, um, the Dominican Republic, who were not actually wiped out by Europeans. They were just written that way. So people didn't believe that that group of people existed anymore, um, but they did. They they were still there. So that's um, that's a paper genocide. So a whole culture is wiped out simply because Europeans were like, we just don't want to acknowledge that they exist anymore. We're just going to say they're gone. Yeah, I feel like that. This is a point that I've been trying to educate myself on. It's also, I feel like something that we really need to focus on is like, hey, you colonizers kind of did this. Let's try to recenter our viewpoints and try not to look at this kind of as a present day issue, but like something with historical context, you know? Yeah. And I feel like a lot of that context gets washed away when you're making threads on Twitter. And mm-hmm. <laughs> which is how I actually met you. <laughs> well, not because you said something, but because someone else said something and you said something in response and you drew this really beautiful banner for Twitter users to post on their profiles that was basically not making fun of the person, but more like like showing the irony of being quote unquote woke in today's age. So I remember that you drew this like woke psychom girl banner <laughs> that everyone posted to be like, hey, maybe your takes are not like as woke as you think they are. <laughs> So I love that art. So let's just talk about your art now. How long have you been drawing? What kind of like art do you do, etc.? I've been drawing for a while now. I've definitely been drawing since like high school. I'm like, I think I started drawing when I started watching anime. <laughs> My yes. first anime ever was Naruto. I got into Naruto before like Dragon Ball Z. I discovered Dragon Ball Z after and I was like, yo, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but like I started watching anime and I was like ah I really want to draw these <laughs> and that was like primary school so I was like whoa whoa look at look at these guys are they fighting is this here spiky is it naturally like that I have questions <laughs> and I actually stopped drawing for a while I was like oh I kind of suck at this I should draw anymore and then I, I was like, you know, I'm never going to get better if I don't practice. Why did I stop drawing? That's stupid. So started drawing again. And um, I just used to do little doodles to like get back into practice. And then one of my followers told me that an old laps look a lot like popsicle colors. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> you, you may be on to something. <laughs> that's a that's a really good idea so I drew the first one and everyone was like whoa that's that's really cool I was like okay I thought it was just like me thinking that that's a cool idea but people really like it too so I I started like drawing it as a series Um, I still do actually I've just been like taking a break from stuff because you need that sometimes self-care is important you don't have to keep churning out content. You're not a, not a machine. If you want to take a break, you don't have to explain to anybody why you're taking a break. Just take a break. But 
I don't even know how many I've drawn at this point. But um, I do have the sticker of my very first one on my iPad, and I love it so much. Aww. But I've been, I've been doing, um, <laughs> I've been doing the, these designs, and um, I've started drawing other animals. Because I'm drawing amphib amphibians. Actually, realize I've never like really truly drawn a salamander. <laughs> so I, I drew a salamander recently. I put it up on my Patreon. Um, I think right now my art I'm focusing on animals and like just animal illustrations but I haven't drawn a face in a minute I didn't want to get back to drawing a face it's really cathartic to like have an idea and be able to like sketch it out and and see it like come together I love that yeah definitely I absolutely love that you have this like creative outlet and you're actually using it to like communicate your research in science so how has that helped you kind of do SciComm through social media and stuff? I think people really catch on to something once you have an image attached to it, because then it's it's really easy for them to, to look at it and understand what you're saying in a tweet. If you're talking about an anole and it's dewlap, it's like one thing to talk about it. But if you have a picture with it right there, it's like, oh, this is a dewlap. This is what um, she's talking about. And people especially get interested when you depict animals in, in fun ways. You don't want to anthropomorphize an animal in real life, but um, being able to like, you know, find something fun or funny or just find some whimsy in an animal in the, the way that they communicate with each other and the way that they do something definitely opens people up to the idea of learning more about this animal. If you like you see someone's laptop, the sticker with an anole with a popsicle on it, and you're like, what is that lizard? Why is it on a popsicle? Like I have questions. And then you ask those questions and you find out what the popsicle is about, what the, the lizard is about. And it's a really fun way to start conversations. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, you know, I actually didn't know a whole lot about anoles until I saw your, like, Twitter and got to know more about your research and such. So that is, like, so awesome that you have, like, a visual representation. And, like, you're just able to, like, ask those questions once you get people you know hooked in you get to answer those questions you know so as we're closing the interview here do you have any closing thoughts any social media that you want to plug i know that you said that you have like sticker store your twitter of course which we've been talking about a lot in this podcast yeah closing thoughts as a queer person from another country i think it's really important to especially like now during like well right now it's pride month and I don't know when this is going to come out, but not just in Pride Month, but for the entire, think about um, people who are queer and who live in countries that are not America or in Europe, where it's difficult to openly be who they want to be. It's really important to have those conversations. It's really important to keep in mind when you make all those fun memes and you make TikTok videos. It's heartbreaking and it's really distasteful to dunk on other countries for the laws that they have when those laws were brought about or written when they were still colonies. 
and still subject to and under the influence of these countries that you now idolize for making same-sex marriage legal. And <laughs> I would love to be home and have a Pride Parade. I've never actually been to a Pride Parade. I was supposed to go last year, but the the, the panini happened. <laughs> <laughs> I would love for that to happen, but there's a lot that needs to change culturally uh, with the laws for that to happen. It's just really important that you decenter America and Europe when you have conversations about what it's like to be queer. Like I love, I love my island, but like at the same time, like thinking about that is really difficult. Like the other day, I tweeted about it's. It was like mostly a joke tweet, but these pictures of men from the seventies wearing short shorts. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> I was like, if if you if your outfit does not look like this, please do not even consider talking to me this summer and a guy replied and he was like if I wore this in Dominica like you know what would happen it's like oh you're so right fun of him and I know that like my island on its own culturally has to change but you can't ignore how we got to the point that we're at and dunking on other countries um, for that doesn't help anyone it doesn't put you on any kind of moral high ground either. Yeah, that's my, sorry, my final thoughts were kind of depressing. No, I really, thank you for being so vulnerable about that. I know that's a really difficult position to be in. But I really appreciate your thoughts. Be gay and have fun though. <laughs> yeah, be gay, have fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, also like check me out on Twitter if you don't already at Chelsea Herbs. Also on Redbubble, Chelsea Herbs. <laughs> I try to keep my username the same, like, everywhere. To me, I made a clever Instagram name out to Chelsea. Because <laughs> it was, like, out to see. I was like, oh, oh. that forever. And now people keep asking for my Instagram and assuming it's Chelsea. Or something. I'm like, no, it's not. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's like, maybe I should make a second Instagram where I just post the null stuff and just call Chelsea, just in case people, like, try to tag me on Instagram as that I at least can catch it in some way yeah yeah but um yeah and my link tree is in my bio on Twitter so any links that I have missed are definitely in there and you should check it out awesome well thank you so much Chelsea I really enjoyed today's conversation it was so amazing and I think that you're just such a cool person so thank you so much for being on our show today Thank you. I still can't believe people think I'm cool. You're so cool. <laughs> like, if you see me talk about adults, like, you still think I'm cool after that. All right. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, thank you again. Coolest, <laughs> coolest burber around. Yes. And once again, folks, that was Chelsea Connor. Thank you, Chelsea, for chatting with me. And thank you for listening. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at LGBTQ STEMcast. Or you can support us financially on our Patreon and Coffee, And all of these links can be found at linktr.ee slash lgbtqstemcast. Once again, I want to thank you all for listening, and we will see you on the STEMcast soon.